we want to introduce you to a footwear brand changing the game for healthcare workers. Meet Gales, the first smart PPE shoe designed in collaboration with nurses. Gales feature custom machine washable insoles with cloud-like long-term arch support. These slip-resistant and feather-light shoes wipe clean in seconds and stay dry thanks to their full moisture and microbe barrier. Gales are also 40 to 50% more affordable than other healthcare footwear brands. You can shop now at weargales.com and use the code GN10, that's G as in gritty, N as in nurse, 10, for 10% off your order. So what are you waiting for? Shop Gales now. Is this thing still on? I think they can hear us a bit better now. Should we keep talking? Of course. Let's say it louder for those in the back. Hi, and welcome to the Green Nurse Podcast, an unfiltered discussion about health and healthcare. My name is Amy Archibald Burley. And my name is Sarah Fung. And we are your podcast hosts. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, iHeartRadio, or any other podcast platform, don't forget to hit subscribe so you can get updates on new episodes. If you love our podcast and our advocacy work, please go to www.grittynurse.com and click on the Support Us button. This will give you access to exclusive episodes and early releases on a monthly basis. This will help us with the cost of running the podcast, the time and energy to put out awesome and informative episodes. And for that, we thank you and we appreciate you. Hi, and welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for continuing to listen to us at the Gritty Nurse Podcast. I think we're going to just get into the episode today and talk about what we've been seeing over the past, you know, couple weeks. And I and I, I don't think this is unique to to Canada, but I think this is something that we we haven't, we aren't used to seeing. And I think this is, again, one of the things that I'd say is, you know, we've seen where nurses have said that, you know, there's a problem, there's there's a shortage. I think when I was a nursing student, I remember hearing about nurses talking about the nursing shortage for a very, very long time. Now we're at this critical juncture where we're at the place where we're closing down hospitals. Sorry, we're closing down units, I should say. Um, specifically ICUs, emergency departments. I have heard even um, pediatric beds being closed, pediatric emergency beds being closed, or having to redirect patients to the U.S. for care. And then also nurses just, you know, being either off sick, leaving the profession, and not even having enough nurses to staff units. So we are we have a problem here. Prior to the pandemic, it was pretty rare, I would say, to hear of a unit in any hospital closing, much less an emergency department. And really, the emergency department is the lifeline of the hospital, right? It's where everybody goes, with a few exceptions, to be stabilized, figure out where or what unit they need to go to. And it's it's really scary. I think for the first time, I have actually thought about 
what it would mean if I needed to go to the hospital, if I needed to go to the emergency room, because there are so many closures right now, I can't even keep track of which hospital is open and closed. And I put out a tweet this weekend saying, what are people actually doing if they need to go to emerge? Are they calling first to see if they're open? Because I just can't believe the point that we've gotten to right now. We're not even sure which hospital is open when it's a long weekend. I read a statistic that said this past long weekend, um, 25% of hospital emergency rooms were actually closed or on redirect. Yeah, that's that's crazy. I think the the fact of the matter is, you know, we have a huge problem. We have a really huge problem on our hands when it comes to, you know, receiving adequate care in these types of situations. And and I sorry, I feel what you're saying too, Sarah, in terms of, you know, well, what do we do or what what does an individual do in terms of when they need care in an emergency department? Like do are they Googling? Are they going on the the website? And I think this is where we have to talk about the fact that this isn't just an effect that happens at the emergency department. It's so multifactorial. It hits so many different levels. So it's like, oh, yeah, it's impacting the ED. So it's also impacting the inpatient unit. It's also impacting the community. So let's say, you know, you come in via ambulance. It's affecting EMS services because if they can't accept you at the hospital because, you know, they don't have a nurse to be able to assume that care or physician can't assume that care, that patient stays with the EMS. And then that means there's one less EMS truck on the road for emergencies. It affects the community because, for example, let's say there is a closure in, you know, in one particular area, all of the services have to be redirected to another emergency department. So then it further burdens or cripples that emergency department, that community, we have a huge problem. And I don't know what our governments are doing about it. I quite frankly feel like they're doing, I couldn't even say the bare minimum because it was, it was, they, they're, it's like they're pulling teeth to get them to come out and even make a statement. And then today, um, our new minister of health did come out and say a statement and it was the most gobbledygook that I've ever heard in the past like two years. It, it was, I don't know, have you ever watched Curb Your Enthusiasm? Yeah, yeah. There's like a scene where like the main character, he's talking to this person at this, I, I believe he's like at a restaurant and he he's like, you can't answer anything. Even if I said something about your tie or I said that, you know, what color is your tie? You would answer it in, in, a, in a strange way. And I think he answers like, well, you know, my tie is a very nice tie. And, and that was literally how the minister of health was talking about the emergency department. And he was just like, she was like, oh, you know, well, when there's an emergency and you need emergency care, you go to the emergency department and with that emergency play, I was just like, oh my God, she's literally saying- Thank you, Captain Obvious, for saying nothing. And if I hear one more politician mention this retention bonus, I'm going to lose it. Oh my God, the retention bonus. This is the only bone they have is this retention bonus. And we've talked about how a lot of nurses didn't even qualify for it. It was taxed at 40%. We're talking about it. And it's a temporary thing. It's a one-time payment. It's not that we got any sort of wage increase. And it honestly works out to- a dollar something extra per hour for that entire year. So it's really a slap in the face. There's nothing there's nothing being done that's more than a, a tiny little bandage solution, a tiny band-aid, really. What 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 is happening is like we're we're on this huge sinking ship, right? 
They're all throwing it. They're throwing out life vests. They're throwing us buckets and they're asking us to continually to empty out this ship that is, that is sinking. But the problem is we continue to shovel out the water, but this, the ship still continues to sink. It's because we are not dealing with the root cause of the problem, which is the gaping hole in the ship that is causing this, the ship to sink. All we're doing is providing temporary band-aid measures at best to try to deal with the situation that is unsavable right now. Like I don't, I personally think that what, what the government has proposed, which is nothing, let's, let's just put that out there is like nothing. This is not working. How many times do we have to say, meet nurses where they are, come to emergency department, come spend 12 hours here and see what it's like for yourself. And nothing happens. Nothing continues to happen. And I was appalled when this minister of health pretty much gaslit every single healthcare professional out there by saying like, you know, you just have to keep healthy. And, and, you know, if, if you need emergency care, you, you just go, but like, try to keep healthy. And, you know, she couldn't even acknowledge the fact that closing a hospital or a hospital unit down is a crisis situation. Couldn't, couldn't even mouth the words. Right. And I was thinking about the very few times I have heard of hospital units closing prior to the pandemic. And you know what it was? It was due to physician shortage, physician unavailability. Now the root cause is nurses. There's just not enough nurses. And I don't blame any nurse for leaving, for wanting to leave, for knowing that they've hit their limit. It's not their fault. It's not something that you can just mindfulness your way out of. Like It's not about self-care at this point. It's about being able to physically care for that many patients is unsafe. We always talk about in nursing how, you know, you're putting your license on the line. Well, every single day you go to work short, that's what's happening and nobody seems to care. And it's really, really sad. I just, it's how we got to this point. We've been screaming from the top of our lungs for over two years now about this issue. And it just seems like nothing's happening. Well, you know, again, with the, some of the other points that this minister of health made was like, oh, well, you know, this is not a unique situation. Let me just stop. I, I wish I could have just stopped her there and be like, so can you tell me in what point uh, or period of time in your lifetime? Because I believe she's been around a little bit longer than me. <laughs> at what point? Well, maybe not. I don't know. I, anyways. At what point in time has she seen the situation that we're dealing with right now in healthcare any other period of time? Like these, when we keep talking about like unprecedented times, this again is an other unprecedented time. I don't remember any time in my nursing career where we sat and talked about the fact that multiple units across Ontario, across Canada were being shut down because nurses weren't there like we might have heard it from like smaller town hospitals small like like urgent care centers but we we weren't hearing about like large regional centers having to go on on large like large times of redirect or closing icu department like this is unheard of and the fact that she could be like oh you know it's just um this is something that's happening everywhere and you know um it this is not unique yeah it's fucking unique it's super unique because we've been saying the same thing 
nothing's happening. And at the end of the day, I'm pretty sure that she'd want to get bumped to the, the front of the line because that was the other question they asked her. Oh, is waiting eight hours acceptable? And she's like, yeah, it's meeting the standard. And I was like, the minister of president of Ontario health came out like two minutes later and was just like, Oh, by the way, um, we are seeing unprecedented wait times in emergency departments upwards of 14 hours or more. Well, that's quite the discrepancy, especially when she said that, Oh, I'm in communication with the RNAO. I'm in communication with Ontario health. I'm in communication with the Ontario Nurses Association and everybody's shaking their head going, oh, when did we actually have this conversation? Stop with the lies. Like that is the reason why so many folks don't trust politicians, don't trust healthcare. That is a problem. Like don't blatantly lie in these situations. Just come out and tell us the truth. That's all what people want. All folks want is to know, like, what's the straight goods? What do I need to do to keep myself and my family safe? How can I help in this crisis situation? But if you feed people lies, that's what the problem is. And we're at a point now where we're not saying, like, the healthcare system is going to crumble. It's actively crumbling. Oh, it's crumbling. This is where we're at right now. So it's not that even, like, oh, you know, if we don't do something. This is what we're saying before, right? If we don't do something, we're at the point now where it's actively crumbling. And we had a guest come on our podcast not too long ago. She was a nurse who became a lawyer. And I really remember distinctly what she said. She said, I think the government's plan is to break healthcare, to break universal healthcare so they can privatize. And I'm really worried about what their next actual move is because right now it seems to be putting their hands and heads in the sand um hiding and then popping out once in a while but what is the end game here like what is going to really happen to healthcare let's say a year from now two years from now i mean i would love to go back to using the term precedented times if that's even a saying i hate this unprecedented i would love to go back to something a little bit more familiar but i know that that's a long way away and i just it's, it's hard to think about what could actually change to make things better at this point in time. Yeah. So why don't we like list out what the problems are? So first case, it, the problem is there's a, there's a nursing shortage. And when we talk about nursing shortage, I'm, I'm going to specifically speak to RNs today. So I'm not, I'm not speaking about RPNs or any, or LPNs or any other folks when we're talking about a nursing shortage, not not saying that they don't participate or don't, there's no value there. Of course, there there are absolutely, but I think when we're talking about, you know, maybe I should just say, yeah. Overall, there is just a nursing shortage. There's a, a shortage of registered nurses across the board. So that's one huge issue, and I think that that is a global issue that nurses have been saying for years and years and years, and nobody has listened to the fact that we've been saying, hey we have a problem here with the labor force in terms of nurses working there. I think there are a lot of nurses that are going to end up retiring very soon. And then we have that other aspect. I think the other piece of the puzzle here in terms of um, challenges that we have is we have a huge backlog. So COVID-19 has exacerbated the issues that were already there within the system. So I think, you know, when we're talking about people who need, surgery or they need some type of diagnostic sorry diagnostic imaging or some some form of care where you know 
or a specialist. These things take time. But during the pandemic, a lot of these services and things are paused. I'm not going to get into the nuts and bolts of whether I agreed with it or disagreed with it. I think I actually came out and um, had said previously that I don't think we should be pausing all of this stuff because obviously we're talking about people's lives and we've seen the ill effects of you know pushing back surgeries that you know people have died there have been many folks that have lost their life because they needed some form of a surgery whether it was life altering or whatever the case may be and they did not get it there is from the diagnostic imaging standpoint Lots of folks missing out on, you know, um, diagnoses related to cancer or other forms of things that they would that would be in, like important for them to know, but but aren't getting those. So you know we're seeing that as well, and and I think that when we think about what's happening, it's it's so multifactorial. There's so many different issues. How do we deal with? all of them. So like I've just mentioned two, but like, I'm sure you can think of a whole bunch of other ones in terms of issues that you're seeing as well. Right. So I'm thinking also that we really need to put a focus back onto primary care, onto public health, because a lot of times people either don't have primary care, so they don't have a family doctor, they don't have anyone to go to when they have little health concerns. And so they kind of wait until it gets to the point where they need to seek emergency care. Or some people unfortunately, use the emergency department because they don't have anyone else to go to. So we can actually be stemming a lot of this by providing people with accessible, um, comprehensive primary care. Part of that is family doctors. A big part of it is also using nurse practitioners to their full scope, which is a whole other topic in itself. But I do, I, I think that we are looking at a group that's really underutilized, not just nurse practitioners, but like you said, Amy, in the past pharmacists, I think there's a lot of potential to use these other groups of healthcare professionals effectively if we know that there is a huge shortage of nurses and it's not going to get better tomorrow. It's not going to get better in a month's time. Like we got to figure out some creative solutions. You know, people talk about all the time putting more money into healthcare. I also think there's a lot of bureaucracy in healthcare where um, resources aren't used efficiently. So we really need to look at how to use the funds we have more wisely. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that could be done. I just don't know where the government's priority is, really. They say they prioritize healthcare. They say all this money is going into beds, but is it going to nurses? Is it going into the actual people that are delivering the care that really would make a big difference? Well, I mean, I guess the, the short answer to that is no. No. Um, <laughs> and I think the other piece is just, you know, like long-term care is always like long-term care and home care. Those are areas that have not been paid attention to. And we saw the devastating effects when COVID kind of ripped through home care, long-term care and devastated many elderly folks. I think that w that's another huge area we're going to have to look into in terms of, you know, servicing these areas, making sure that from an ethical standpoint, a moral and ethical standpoint, that we're making sure that they get the quality of care that they deserve. Because we were seeing the when the military came in, they were just like, the, this, the, the care that some of these folks are receiving is deplorable. And I think the other piece that we have to look at is, you know, we have to think about what, like, what does healthcare leadership look like right now? And I'm appalled at some of the messages and emails that we get from frontline nurses from our nurse leaders or about our nurse leaders. And it is disheartening. 
I am knocking on the nurse leaders, the nurse managers, the directors, all these folks who are really shitting on frontline nurses right now and not really understanding again where it was where or how it was like to be in that role because some of the things that I'm seeing that some of these nurse managers and other folks in leadership roles are saying to frontline staff is abhorrent it is disgusting because you know at the end of the day you're a nurse too I would take my scrubs off and I would say, come and do this shit if you think you could do it better than me. Because if you're telling me that I need to do X, Y, and Z, then come do it. You still have your license. How many of these folks, Sarah, how many nurses out there are working in leadership right now that still have their RN as a title and still are entitled to practice? Do you see them pulling up their sleeves and going, yeah, we're going to go in the thick of it too? I bet you the answer is no. I bet you they're like, better them than me. And that is some fucked up shit. That is like terrible because I I, I can't even imagine it. And I think the, the fact of the matter is if someone said to me, hey, I need your help and I need your support. Could you come down and do X, Y, and Z? Yeah, you sure as hell as I'm, I'm going to. That was what we did when we were educators. We didn't stay hiding behind our desks, freaking out about, you know, whether we might have to help with an IV or, you know, let another nurse go on break. That was the work that we did. That was because we were still nurses. But some of these, I'm not saying all, but there are some nurses out there that are literally stepping on the backs of other nurses. And that is not acceptable. And if you know it's it's so bad, help. Like use your power and position to advocate for frontline nurses. Be like, this is this is this is inadequate. And just, I can't believe some of the things I've heard people say to some of these frontline nurses. It's again, nursing from the inside needs to give their heads a shake too. Right. And all of these organizations are so top heavy. So there are so many senior leaders. There's so many VPs. And it's like, can we allot some of that money actually to the frontline? Because I mean, like, I don't want to call out any particular organizations, but some organizations, given the size of the facility, you don't need that many um, managers, nurse managers, VPs. Like, like there are positions that I'm like, what does this person even do? Like, it's almost like a made-up position to give somebody a position in leadership to do things that nobody knows what they're doing, which kind of brings me to my next point, which is we have a huge problem in healthcare with accountability. So going back to all of the deaths that occurred in long-term care, all of the things that went wrong, who was really accountable? Were they accountable in any way, shape, or form, either legally, either financially? You know, I just, I don't see any of that. And it's these corporations that, for profit especially, that just keep expanding they keep getting more funding to build more facilities build more beds and so you would think that given the number of deaths that occurred that something would have happened but it's actually appears to be the opposite they're growing and they're making more money yeah it's crazy like i i mean we had um andre picard on talking about accountability and quality improvement in healthcare, and that was the big ticket item that he was mentioning he's like there is no accountability structure not in in healthcare and that's why you know we're we're in this crap storm as we are because 
everyone's pointing their finger at other people. So like the conservatives point their ch- their fingers at the liberals and say, well, it was bad when they were here. The, the liberals point their fingers at the conservatives and say, like, you made it 10 times worse. And then, you know, you, you look at all these various different structures and you're like, well, maybe it's this person's pr- fault or that like, there's no, nobody is saying that, you know, the system is crumbling under the weight un- because of X, Y, and Z. But we know that there are all these leaders in these positions of power that get off scot-free when it comes to hearing how horrible it is in the in these within our healthcare system. And we need to have an accountability structure. We should we should be able to say, okay, this healthcare milestone wasn't met. These things didn't happen. There was too many deaths. Okay. By everybody at Ontario Health. Here comes a new board. Here comes new leaders. Here comes new. Here comes a new team. But none of that stuff happens. These people stay in these legacy roles for God knows how long, and they can make it worse. And nothing happens. Nothing happens to them. They just move on to another CEO or president job, and our healthcare continues to suffer. But I'm scared. I'm scared that it will get to a point where we're looking at, okay, well, you know what? We can't clear the backlog. What's happening is unsustainable. We need to open up access for privatization. If you can afford to pay for some of these services, that'll help clear the backlog. I see it coming. Mm-hmm, I see it coming from a mile. Yeah. And I'm I'm really scared because I'm even thinking about my own family members. If somebody needed to go to Emerge, I know that there is a paramedic shortage. So that's that's known. But I'm thinking like if something were to happen to my family, I would say to them, call an ambulance because at least the ambulance will know which emergency department is open. <laughs> but I'm also scared that if there's such a shortage of um, ambulance of paramedic um, workers, will they even get to my loved one in time? I'm I'm actually scared right now for anybody that needs emergency services and I'm not saying not to seek care but I'm I'm very anxious about what this means does this mean they're going to be waiting for 20 hours even if they do get to a hospital that's open like are they going to receive the care I I'm sure there are folks that have passed away just waiting to be seen it's so preventable Yeah and I think I think those fears are are valid and I think the the other piece that is is concerning is who's this going to hurt we know who this hurts it's it breaks my heart to think about the folks that who are already in these positions literally put there through policy design through procedures through you know white supremacy through systemic you know violence that the people who are already facing some of the most challenges when it comes to health and healthcare are, you know, folks that are, have been marginalized, folks that are of low socioeconomic status, racialized folks, LGBTQ folks. It's folks that are disabled. This is who the system is going to attack first. Um, and it's it's very scary. Like I think that you know we keep talking about what does equitable healthcare look like? What does health equity look like on you know the front lines of care and emergency departments in various different areas or other areas of care? And if we go down a privatized model, 
I think health equity clearly goes out of the door because we're literally talking about two tiers of care. And I'm pretty sure that Canadians don't want that. Like I am like I, I, I feel that that is not what Canadians want. I mean, I think that there are some folks who, who say we shouldn't have socialized medicine. We shouldn't have, we shouldn't have, you know, we shouldn't be paying these high taxes. Well, then go to another country who, who who doesn't have these types of models of care and then live it up over there and pay for your health care when you're, when you're in need. But I think the majority of folks here in Canada, they want that type of a system. But right now, it's not working and we need we need to really think about some some groundbreaking change to to really make that to make healthcare a reality for folks again and again like i think the the beginning it really starts with nursing it starts with talking about what incent, like how do we keep nurses at the bedside and the government will never know that question unless they come and talk to nurses and it's actually just pretty listen simple. to what we have to say and not just give us a token spot at the table, but really have a decision made already, you know, because it's it's almost worse to have someone at the table and then not listen to what they have to say. Um, it's yeah, it's just really concerning. I just wanted to mention a couple other things that um, organizations have been doing to sort of band-aid solution this nursing shortage. So we've talked about how um, they've used p- They've used positions such as nursing students, which is horrible. Using a nursing student to perform the care that a nurse should be doing and putting that amount of responsibility on them, it's so unsafe. We've heard about um, clinical externs being used to perform nursing care and these nurse extenders. um, And a lot of the nurse extenders have actually been physicians who have been paid much more per hour than nurses are getting to do the same job that they're not even actually trained to do. And then to add insult to injury, then we've asked nurses to train physicians to do this role for, you know, however long they're doing it, maybe a shift or two. And they're getting paid so much more. Like, I don't even want to go into how much more. It's just really insulting to think that is the solution right now, instead of trying to recruit and retain the nurses that we have. Well, think about how degrading that would be, right? Okay, let's go back to the student, right? So I've heard stories of students being put in very, very precarious positions. They were having like full caseloads, you know, their one to seven ratios, things like that. And again, it's like some form of exploitation, right? Like if we're if they're going to have that big of a load and they're going to be doing all that work, well, I hope that they're getting paid like an RN. Mm-hmm. Right. We're expecting them to do RN duties without even paying them. Anything less than that, it is almost criminal, right? Like you're, you're, these folks don't have their license. They're probably practicing under, under the nurse that's working with them. They're under their license, but they're expected to take on full, full assignments. Like, I mean, that is... I don't have the right words for like what is actually <laughs> what is really happening there um, for clinical externs. It's the same, right? Like, are we making sure like what are the protections put in place for the students and these clinical externs? Are they being paid at a reasonable rate, even if they are not doing all the duties? But like, are we making sure that they're being fairly compensated? And then this whole like physician n- nurse extender, like, just just the term is derogatory 
because a physician is not an extension of a nurse. A nurse is not an extension of a physician. We are not their handmaidens. We do different things. A nurse is a nurse. A physician is a physician. And that's that's it at the end of the day. But hearing about the disparities in terms of pay or I think actually we I heard Birgit say on a spaces where she was asked to, to come work in like a vaccine clinic and they had physicians doing the the vaccines for like they asked for nurses. They couldn't get nurses. So there were physicians doing vaccines and they had her wiping down chairs like what in the world is happening here? They had her wiping down chairs. So that the physicians could give the injections. Right. She crazy. And again, I think this is where there's so much, so many different things here at play, right? Like in terms of, you know, power and policy and and the way that we think about healthcare and, and the hierarchy and all of this nonsense. I'm gonna call it nonsense. And we need to really start thinking about how we could do things differently. We need to take down all of these barriers that we put up because they are imaginary barriers when you're saying, no, this person can't provide this type of care. No, this person can't do this or they're going to take my job away or, you know, we're going to be replaced. Stop it. Stop it right now. Because right. If, if you're, if you, at the end of the day, patient safety is your main concern, then let's make it about patient safety. Let's make it about making sure that people get seen because I feel that what's going to start to happen. Like, I don't, I don't believe we're in the worst of it yet. And I think that's the scariest piece. I was speaking to just a couple nurses today and they've all told me about their exit plans. And I think there's many more that are going to leave. We're going to lose so many great nurses to the fact of the matter is that they're not being heard. Yeah. That's that's just that's simply what it is. It's just like imagine yourself working in a profession where you know you take pride in the work that you do. You feel that what you're doing is making a difference or changing people's lives or supporting people. And every turn you have someone's telling you it doesn't matter. It makes no sense or you know you're not respected, you're not valued. How long are you going to stay in that profession for? Probably not very long. Mm -hmm. I think many folks have their exit plans. And I believe that this is, it's going to get worse before it gets better. And I empathize with every single nurse out there. And I think at the end of the day, I'm going to say it again. If you're done, you're done. Yeah, you need right? to you need to stand up for yourself. At the end of the day, it's people have said, oh, nurses are just complaining about money. At the end of the day, that's part of it. But ultimately, it's about the respect that we deserve. It's about safe working conditions. It's about being able to provide the level of care that we know that we should and we just physically can't right now. Yeah, it's it's a really dark time. And I never thought that we would be here. But, you know, I think that I I need to adjust my own expectations to, like you said, we're not through the worst of it yet. We just, we have to take it one day at a time. Again, we haven't even talked about this for, we haven't talked about this particular topic very much, but did you see that they said like monkeypox, they've declared a, like a state of emergency in some places in the States. I'm just like, I can't. Every time I brought it up, you're like, you're telling me not to go there. So now you're going there. <laughs> right. But it's just like, I, I mean, wh like what's next and how do we, how do we really Think about how we could do this better because the fall's coming, flu time's coming back around. Like, I think it was like one week where I saw like there was a little bit of an uptick in masks at Costco. I was like, ooh, look at this. And 
I, I just don't see it for September. And I don't know. I, I, I really don't know what the state of healthcare is going to be in the next couple months because people just aren't listening to nurses. I mean, we they make these jokes. I've seen the memes. I'm sure you've seen them too, where it's like a physician might say like, you know, if a nurse says something, believe them. Nurses have been saying and talking about this shortage and talking about a collapse and, the, and a crippling of healthcare. And here we are. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and and to um, add to that, there's constant shortages of medical supplies, too. So that's that's a whole other issue in itself. But it makes a nurse's job so much harder when we have to be told that you have to ration certain supplies or that we have to use we have to basically substitute supplies, which we know are not the best option, but it's all we have. And again, it's just it just shows how fragile the system is. And at any moment, there could be another shortage that we're dealing with and it just never seems to end. So in the last couple of minutes before we we close up, what do we need to do? What can we tell folks to do? I'd say as a first solution, always reach out to your MPPs, reach out to your MPs, write the premier. If you're in the U.S., reach out to your your mayors, reach out to your your political leaders, reach out to your senators. We got to just keep putting the word out there. Like that's that is one piece. And I think the other thing is I want to say to nurses, please hang in there. Not hang in there in terms of like hang in there and like suffer, but hang in there and please continue to advocate. Please continue to send us lines where we will post them anonymously if if you ask us to. The public needs to know. And I know that, again, like I feel that that fear of silencing is coming back where a lot of nurses are saying to me, they're like, I just don't want to let people know. And I had this nurse tell me about, you know, the fact that they were pediatric beds that were closing and that there were way more units that were closed than were reported but people are afraid to speak up we need our nursing unions to do the dirty work they got to get out there they got to get their elbows dirty if they're not going to support nurses on the front line to do it they're the ones that got to get out there and and do this hard work because the alternative really is they're just going to leave and Mm -hmm. I'm not, honestly, I'm not stopping anybody. I think that there are a lot of great other options out there. The The disrespect has been unreal. Like there are a lot of great folks that are still continuing to lift nurses up. So I don't want, I, I don't want people to think that, you know, it's all doom and gloom because there are some great folks out there that are, you know, continually supporting nurses, continually um, supporting us, calling the MVP's offices, you know, calling the premier or whatever. But a lot of nurses are feeling left alone to deal with a lot of this by themselves. Right, right. And, you know, I would say don't underestimate the power of social media. So if you're on social media or you are thinking about getting on, just get on and get behind us. Amplify uh, what we're saying because numbers do make a difference. The more people, the better. You can find things out in real time on social media it's like we've said before it's there it's it's can be like good and bad right so you just got to use it for good and know that there is a lot of uh potential to you know make a difference online follow us follow people that you respect and see what they do and just get behind them and you know reach out to them and say how can i help it doesn't matter if you're a nurse or not it doesn't matter if you're in healthcare or not we need as many people as possible we need some we need bill 124 repealed <laughs> we need 
better staffing levels. So for example, one of the things is a better patient ratios. I think that's another thing a lot of uh, nurses have spoken to me about. And I remember in my own practice, um, having a full caseload of like one to eight is crazy. So maybe looking at other models, like in California, where they have nurse ratio caps, where they, or they have like a break nurse, like we need to start thinking outside of the box. And, you know, how do you retain your nurses? I think we did an episode where we said the pizza doesn't cut it anymore. Like, I think at this point, if you try to throw us a pizza party, you might like get the pizza thrown back in your face. Like, we need to think about innovative ways to, you know, um, keep nurses at the bedside. I'm sure there's a lot of other things that can be done in terms of looking at universities, opening up programs, um, expediting internationally educated nurses, making sure that they're, they're ready to practice when they get out so they can, you know, they could help and support. And then just thinking about using NPs, like you said, in other, in other ways, using them to their full scope and their full potential. I don't think there's any harm in doing that. Again, I think, I think the main thing, and I think we've said this like so many times, so forgive us for repeating ourselves, but again, you just need to listen to nurses, meet them where they are, go out to the emergency department and see how bad it is. Like see how hard it is to work 12 hours without going pee, without having your lunch, without stopping for two seconds to, to, to drink a sip of water. We're in really difficult times. And I think at the end of the day, if we continue to let it go this way, this is not going to become just a nursing shortage. It's going to become a critical infrastructure shortage where we might even see whole hospital systems saying we're closing our doors because we we just don't have the resources or we're closing large units because we don't have the resources. They're going to the States too. That's the other thing. They're going to the US. And at the end of the day, we need to stop pointing fingers and just work together to come up with a solution. It doesn't matter who did what at this point. Let's just come together, even if we have had different viewpoints in the past and make things better for everyone. This is all we need at the end of the day is just think about what's best for patients and families and what would happen if your own family member or you were sick. What would you want? How would you want to experience healthcare if you had to go? And I don't think it's the way it is right now. So there's a lot of different other things we could touch upon, but really that's that's the gist of it. And, you know, thank you everyone for listening and continuing to listen. We would love to hear any ideas or any experiences you have that you would want to share with us. Yeah, thanks again for listening every single week. And for the nurses out there, um, keep strong and give your family lots of hugs. And if you're done, you're done. And that's okay. 